Which way is on? Which way is on? Yeah, I'm going to have to take it. <laughs> All right. Exodus chapter 12. We left off at verse 14 talking about the Passover. And we saw in the Passover, um, and if you were here Sunday morning, we, we see how all the pieces fit perfectly. Perfectly they fit. On the 10th of Nisan, they were to bring the lamb. They were to find a lamb without spot and without blemish. For four days, they would watch that lamb. Make sure the lamb didn't get sick. There wasn't something wrong with the lamb. At the end of those four days, the lamb would be put to death to to cover the sins of the people. We see Jesus Christ coming on the 10th of Nisan. The exact day Daniel the prophet said he would come in Daniel chapter 9, presenting himself for four days. He's grilled by the scribes and the Pharisees, ultimately declared to be uh, righteous, and I find no fault in this man. He's a perfect lamb. And on the 14th of Nisan, alongside the Passover lamb that was being slain, Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross, fulfilling the promise that God gave to Abraham, Genesis chapter 22, that God would provide himself the lamb that would be slain. So we see that in the beginning of chapter, uh, in the beginning of chapter 12 in the book of Exodus. Well, as we continue to go through, uh, beginning in verse 15, he goes on to describe uh, more of the Passover. He says, Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove the leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from that day until the seventh, that person should be cut off from Israel. So the Lord's serious about this. Why is he serious about it? Because, folks, every part of the Passover, every part of of the, the feasts that the Lord gave the people is a picture, it's a pattern of fulfillment and prophecy that Jesus Christ accomplished with his coming. And so the Lord's saying, hey, don't play with this. I want you to do it exactly how I'm telling you to do it, exactly the way I'm laying it out for you. So they were to make sure that they had unleavened bread. He goes on in verse 16, now on the first day, There will be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there will be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So that's that Passover feast. So you will observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting Ordinance. Now, I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity to closely study the, the way that the Passover was given. But there is a, a part of the Passover called the Afikomen. It's a, a part of the matzos, the unleavened bread. There's three pieces of unleavened bread that are a part of that feast. Isn't that interesting? Three symbolizing the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When you would stack those three, they would pull the middle one out. That part of the bread which would be indicative of God the Son. And they break it. And when we take a look at the matzos, we see on the matzos, right? The stripes on the matzos, the way it's cooked. Scripture lays out in Isaiah 53 that by his stripes we are healed. And it's interesting, folks, because when the children of Israel partook of this Passover... The Bible tells us there was not one sick or one lame that left with them. But in the Passover, they 
were all healed. Whatever their issues were, when they went to the journey that, that the Lord took them on, that one-year journey to take them to the promised land, they were all made well. They were all made well. And when we take a look at that Passover, folks, and we see Paul, doesn't Paul tell us when he speaks of communion, when he speaks of, of that, that, that thing that, that we celebrate as a part of the church and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, doesn't he say many of you are, are sick and struggling because they, they don't observe the communion uh, the way that we ought? That we're not uh, maybe as serious about it. Maybe we're not as consecrated unto the Lord in it. But the Lord tells us that in those things, there's, there's healing. There's something that takes place when we commune with the Lord. And there's something that took place here in the Passover because the Lord would touch all of those. By the way, afikoman means uh, that which is coming later. They would take the afikoman, break it, put it back, and they'd put it away. They'd hide it, and they would say, this is coming later. Isn't that interesting? And the children would say, why are we doing that? And the fathers would tell them, these are the instructions that the Lord has given us. But when we look at the life of Jesus Christ, and we see the sacrifice that he made, and the things that he did, all those things begin to make sense. Because they were all part of a pattern that the Lord was laying out. Well, as we continue... He says, now in the first month of the 14th day of the month. Now, what was the first month? The Lord said, this shall be the first of months for you. That's the month of Nisan. And the 14th day, the 14th day of Nisan is the day in which the Passover lamb was to be slain. On the 14th day of the month at evening, you will eat unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. So there was to be all leaven taken out of the house. All leaven cleansed out of the house. At that time, leaven throughout the scriptures, folks, a picture of sin. It's a, it's a house cleaning that the Lord is calling for. For seven days, no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leaven, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he's a stranger or a native in the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. Now that word basin is the word sop. It's an it's a Aramaic word and archaeologists believe what they're talking about is as the folks would come to their home when they would open their door on the bottom threshold of the door, they would, they would have a cutout that was filled with water. And folks, before they came into their house, they'd kick off their sandals, dip their feet in the water so that they could wash their feet and enter into the house. Moses said, fill that with blood. Fill that basin with blood and strike the doorposts. So we dip hyssop. Remember, we talked about it last time. Striking the doorposts would paint the symbol of the cross upon the door through which those uh, would be saved and spared from the destroying angel. He says in verse 23, For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into your house 
to strike you. I want you to take careful notice of that. The Lord, when he sees the blood upon the house, what does he do? He passes over the house. Literally, the picture that he's painting is, is of that hen that would get over the chicks, spread out her wings, and cover so that nothing would be able to, to get to, to her, her children. The Lord is doing the same thing, spreading his wings over the house, his protection over that house so the destroying angel cannot come through. And we'll see in a moment a very clear picture of that. Verse 24, you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. God is the protector of his people. And you will observe this thing forever. The opportunity that the fathers and the mothers had to teach their children in the symbolism of the Passover over and over and over again, teaching them about what God had done, how God was working, how God supplied their need. And in the feast, which was like a nice time for a family to get together, the children would have certain questions that they were supposed to ask. And they would ask their fathers, and the father would go into the story about how God delivered his people. You see, all throughout the keeping of the Passover, God is helping spread the message of the lamb that takes away sin. The sacrifice that, that, gets, that protects the people, God's protection. The sacrifice that sets them free. All forever, the Lord says, forever. Today, they still practice it. Go to Israel, you're going to see the same thing. Jews all over the world will sit down and have the Seder, the Passover meal. And the same things will take place as they have opportunity to teach their children the, the works of the Lord. And so, it will come to pass. When you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as He promised... You'll keep this service. Keep doing it. And it shall be when your children say to you, what does all this mean? That you say to them, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshiped. All about teaching the kids but listen when he says who pass over literally he's he's speaking in the sense of laying over top of the house now keep that in mind for a moment Turn, hold your fingers there we'll go on a little journey in isaiah 31 isaiah 31 verse 5 through the prophet isaiah the lord says like birds flying about so will the lord of hosts defend jerusalem Defending, he will also deliver it. Passing over, he will preserve it. Again, that same word is being used, which is that same concept of lying over and protecting the house with his presence. Then when we consider what Jesus said in Luke chapter 13, if you flip with me to Luke chapter 13, uh, verse 34... Then we can see the Lord with that same desire when Jesus came. He would cry out in verse 34, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you were not willing. 
So your house is left to you desolate. And assuredly, I say to you, you will not see me until the time comes when you will say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. By the way, that's a declaration of them acknowledging Jesus as Messiah. Jesus says, I'll leave. I won't come back until you acknowledge that I am the Messiah. And the prophets will build on that concept as well. But Jesus said, I want to, with that same, he's using that same phrase, that same concept, gather you under my wings. I want to keep you under. I want to be your protection. I want to be your shield and your covering. But you would not. All that they had studied, all that they had practiced, all became just a a bunch of rituals. And one ritual after another, they would do the ritual, but the meaning was lost. They would teach the things that that God had done, but the reality, the truth of it, it just was a thing where we go through the motions. You know, we're, we're all able to do that. Aren't we get into a position where... We are like, have you ever got in your car and started going somewhere? You're really meant to go somewhere else, but you're so used to driving to work that, you know, before you know it, you're halfway there and you go, well, where am I going? You know, we can get caught up in that, that that it becomes the Lord doesn't want that. The Lord wants the Lord wants a people that don't draw near to him just with their lips. But with their hearts. With, with that attitude that says, God, I want everything that you have. Don't, I don't want to be stale. I don't, I don't want my kids just to see a, a ritual or a religion. I want them to recognize a true and real relationship. Because if not, we're, we're in the same boat as the children of Israel. We do the same things. You know, over and over again, we get caught up in the same type of different rituals, but we have our own. And if we're not using those to proclaim a true and living relationship with Jesus Christ, then we're missing an opportunity. And here we see in the book of Exodus, the Lord desiring that the, that the children of Israel would take that seriously, that they would lean that or, or, or glean through that to reach out to their kids and say, here is the truth of what's going on. So... The scripture would go on. The, the people bowed down and worshiped, and the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. And it came to pass at midnight, the Lord struck all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. You know what I see in this is uh, we need to realize Apart from coming to the Lord in accordance with what, how His Word lays things out, what we think is a good person or a deserving person doesn't matter. God's judgment falls upon all who fall short of following or uh, holding, grasping His redemption. If they followed through with what Moses told them, then the firstborn didn't die. If they did not, it did. Didn't matter. Good person, nice person, happy person. If they didn't take God's word and and apply God's word in their life, be obedient to what God had laid out for them, then they were lost. We see the same thing in, in relationship with the Lord today. 
We must come to the Lord in accordance with what his word declares and apply the blood. For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. So we see that this angel comes. And so Pharaoh rose in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead, either a lamb or a child was dead in every house. Can you picture for a moment you being one of the children of Israel? Moses saying, hey, the, the destroyer, the death angel is coming tonight. You need to do this and mark your doorposts in obedience to God's word. And God will protect you and, and that judgment won't fall. Would you sleep that night? You just going to curl up on your pillow or are you sitting there wondering? And when the screams would come in the night. What was that like? What was it like to, to, to be in that place and to experience that, that judgment? See, we are removed from judgment. And so often folks talk about this judgment that will come where God judges the living and the dead and it becomes this unreal thing to us. But you see, it's the same as the Passover unless we apply the blood of Jesus Christ. Unless we are found in Him, that judgment touches us. It touches whomever has not applied that blood of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So, Pharaoh, he called for Moses and Aaron at night and he said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel. You go and serve the Lord as you said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said and be gone. And bless me also, that's a strange request, isn't it? From a fella that pretty much didn't want to have anything to do with the Lord, rejecting every opportunity that came. But Pharaoh literally is saying, get, just get. Don't talk. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to hear nothing. Just go. Take your stuff, all your stuff. You're free. You can go. And so the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. More literally, we are all dead men. And really, that's where we all are. The Bible says we are dead in our trespasses and sin, but Jesus Christ has made us alive. And so the Egyptians seeing, hey, we're all dead. We don't have anything that we can offer. You guys, just go. If you stay... Maybe I'm next. Just go. Just go. It's time for you guys to leave. So the people took their dough before it was leavened. Don't wait for your dough. Just leave. Go. It's time to go. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having their kneading bowls bound up in their clothes on their shoulders. And the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses. And they asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them whatever they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. 430 years of slavery, back pay. God made sure that they got everything that they needed to have. They got it all. They went and asked their neighbor. The neighbors were so excited that they were leaving. They give them whatever you want. Hey, just whatever you want, just go. Whatever you, sure, take my gold, take my silver, just go. 
Just go, be rid of them. So the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to, to, to Sukkoth, about 600,000 men on foot beside children. When it talks about men, when they counted men, they only counted the men 20 years and older. So the number of 600,000 would cover every man 20 years old and older, the men who were able to fight. Every man under 20 wasn't counted, was still considered a part of the children at this time, and the wives. So estimates are everywhere, kind of all over the page. They, none of them go higher than 2.5 million. Uh, some of them 1.5 million. But we're talking about a huge body of people. I once had, had the opportunity for a Raul Reese, Somebody Loves You crusade, we had a bunch of motorcyclists going out on the crusade. So we had somewhere in the neighborhood of 250 motorcycles all riding out to 29 Palms uh, to get on the base and, and like a call to, do a call to worship uh, for the concert and everything that was taking place. So I was in the front row with the guys who were riding in. We rode in, parked, got off of bikes... And folks were still coming in the gate about a half mile away, motorcycles. And that was just 250. What is it like to move two and a half million people? I can only imagine. But here's what I want you to grasp. When we consider the fact that God was moving them, we realize, we recognize if they'd have taken the way of the water, they could have accomplished their journey in 11 days. But the people were not ready. So God, in His wisdom, is going to guide them from place to place. And each place that God takes them, there's an important lesson for us to grasp. It's a lesson that God's teaching His people so that He can get Egypt out of His people and His people ready to enter in to the promised land. Now the promised land, folks, in the Bible, the promised land is not a picture of heaven. It's a picture of rest so to, in order to enter into the rest in order to enter into what's been called the victorious christian life there was a journey that the lord took the people on to get the world out of them so that they would be ready to receive what it was that god had for them now sometimes we might look at our life and we might say well I look at my life's journey i'm all over the place I'm to the left, I'm to the right, up, down. Man, if I'd only just done straight, I could have I done all this in a much shorter period of time. I used to look back at my life from the time I was 17 to 30. I full on was in rebellion against God. If God said go right, I went left. As hard as I could, I went as far opposite God as I could possibly go. And I used to look at that time and say, man... That was 13 years of wasted time. You ever felt like that? You look at your life and you say, man, look at all that wasted time. But in reality, doesn't God use all that time to develop within us the character we need to accomplish the call that God has for us? The children of Israel could have done the journey in 11 days. Now, they are going to take 40 years. That wasn't what God had in mind. But God had a year instead of 11 days. For you and I, we can make our journey longer than it needs to be. We, have all, we can all look back at our lives and say, 
Yeah, I didn't have to make that choice then. I could have done this. I could have done that. But keep in mind, God's not interested in the quick, you know, the quick plan where you just go from zero to hero right now. He's not interested in that. God is interested in training you up and developing you according to his perfect plan in your life. How long did it take him to get Moses ready? 80 years. Was there a shortcut? Could Moses have done it in 10 instead? No. That was part of God's plan in Moses' life. That's how long it was going to take. So when we find ourselves on these roads in our walk with the Lord, we find ourselves in a journey and we're wondering, why did this have to happen? Why did I first go through this and then I went through that? And wouldn't it have been quicker if I had just bypassed one of those? I'm sure the children of Israel feel the same way. In fact, they're going to complain to Moses. Moses, what are you doing? Why are you taking us this way? Why are you doing these things? But you see, it was all God-directed and God-breathed so that they would learn something from each of the stops that they're going to take. So we're going to, we're going to take a look at some of those stops and hopefully be able to glean the lessons that the Lord was teaching them. Children of Israel left Egypt, left their dwellings, their permanent houses, and they dwelled in, in Sukkoth. Sukkoth means uh, tent. It was a tent city. Nothing permanent in Sukkoth. So when they would move into Sukkoth, is it possible that the Lord was teaching them, you're not going to have any satisfaction if your goal in this world is what you can have here? Where, how did Abraham live? Lived in a tent. Why? Because he was looking for something that had foundations. Something that wouldn't collapse. Something that wouldn't cease to exist. But he was looking for it. How? That whose builder and maker was God. He was looking for what God supplied. So in essence, Abraham is saying, I'm just visiting this place. This place is not my home. This place is not going to satisfy. I mean, surely we've all learned parts of that in our journey. I mean, there was a time I thought, wow, you know, the only thing I ever want. Have you ever said that? The only thing I ever want. You ever heard that from your kids? Mom, Dad, you don't have to buy me anything else for Christmas. Just buy me whatever that is. I got a whole lot of those things in my garage that go out at yard sales. In fact, at our yard sale out here, we had a whole bunch of those things. And at one time, they were the prize. You know, this was it. Woo, this is the coolest thing ever. And we sold it for a quarter at a yard sale. Because those things don't satisfy the first stop for the children of israel on their one year ordained tour by god was to tent city tent city where i believe god is showing them it's not about what you have here it's not about these things nothing here is permanent it's all gonna pass it's all gonna burn that brand new car that Harley-Davidson motorcycle, whatever. It's all falling apart, isn't it? I got a, now maybe because I got a brand new Kia, I don't know, maybe that's it, but I got a brand new Kia. Ain't hardly got no miles on it. Y'all can go steal it right now. Why? Because the key's in it. Why is the key in it? I don't know, I can't get it out. (laughs) Brand new car. Now, I'm sure my insurance would be happy not to pay 
whatever they're supposed to pay if somebody steals it because the key's in it. But the key won't come out. Shake, kick it, slug it, yell at it. It doesn't matter. The key don't come out. Why? Because from the moment they rolled that thing off of the, out of the factory until, you know, the moment we roll it into the junkyard, it's falling apart. It's wearing out. That's how it works. That's not going to satisfy. You might get all excited. We all get excited. Woohoo! I got a new car. And then you get the first scratch. Oh, man. Scratch a new car. Then what happens? Like something breaks, something stops working. Usually what happens to me, the little plastic things inside the car start popping off. And that happened in a Chevy. I had a big old Chevy truck. Was the king of Chevy trucks once upon a time. It's not anymore. But it was then. And every time I closed my door, the little switch for the window to go up and down would just shoot across the truck. And I'd have to go plug it in, stick it back in. Now, one time, man, that thing was, whew, this is it. It was even cool once. But, you know, that's not what's going to satisfy. One of the first things I think we have to learn in our walk with God is that this world is not going to satisfy. And if we're looking for satisfaction from here, we'll be able to sing right alongside a Rolling Stones, right? Because they got it all and they can't find none. Can't get no satisfaction. Why? Because you're looking in the wrong place. Satisfaction comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Comes from that relationship with the Lord. And so this is the first place that the Lord takes him. He's going to take him to Sukkot. Sukkot, tent city. Two and a half million people perhaps going to that place. And then in verse 38, a mixed multitude went up with them also and flocks and herds and a great deal of livestock. Now this mixed multitude, folks, is going to be trouble later. But I don't want you to look at this mixed multitude like they're trouble because they were Egyptians who decided to follow. The mixed multitude is a mixture. It's a mixture of Jews who married Egyptians, Egyptians who married Jews, Egyptians and other pagans who saw the works of God and decided to follow the children of Israel. The only way they stay a mixed multitude is if they are never assimilated into the body. And the only way they're not assimilated into the body is if they refuse to, to be consecrated to the Lord. Their act of consecration was circumcision. And what we're going to see in Numbers later on, we get to Numbers chapter 11, we're going to see the mixed multitude was always complaining because they weren't quite sold out. They weren't quite willing to consecrate themselves completely and deal with the flesh. What was circumcision about? Dealing with the flesh. Dealing with the flesh. What did the Lord say? He said, you need to circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Because you're going through all these rituals, but inside, you're not dealing with the flesh. You're not cutting away that dead flesh. Get rid of it. Die to the old man and, and be the new. And that's what the Lord is looking for for them. So when you see the mixed multitude, keep in mind, the good side of that is, Egyptians saw the power of God and, and went with them and would uh, become a part of the children of Israel. And there were children of Israel who saw the works of God and went with them and didn't believe. And there were Egyptians who didn't. Mixed multitude means mixed. 
whole group of, of all kinds of folks that were a part of that. Mixed multitude went also with flocks and herds and a great deal of livestock. And they break, they breaked, they baked unleavened cakes of dough which they had brought out of Egypt, for it was not leaven. Because they were driven out of Egypt, they could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. Now the sojourn of the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was 430 years. And it came to pass at the end of 430 years, on the very same day it came to pass, all the armies of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night of solemn observance to the Lord for bringing them out of the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord, a solemn observance for all the children of Israel throughout their generations. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Now this is the ordinance of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat it. But every man's servant who is bought for money, when you have circumcised him, then he may eat it. A sojourner or a hired servant shall not eat it. In one house it shall be eaten. You shall not carry any of the flesh outside of the house, and nor shall you break one of its bones." You know, God's so, His examples are so perfect. So perfect. He says, nor shall you even break one of its bones. Well, why is that? Well, probably because the bones are what produce the blood. If the bone's broken, the bone doesn't produce blood while it's broken. It ceases to produce blood. Maybe the picture is there's no end to the blood that is able to cover the sins of the sacrifice. So don't break his bones. When they came to Jesus to break his legs, what did they do? You see, he's already dead. Because the Bible said not one bone would be broken. He is the perfect example of the Passover lamb. In fact, if you hold your finger here, I just want you to, to enjoy with me Psalm 22. If you'll turn with me there, maybe you haven't had an opportunity to, to take a look at Psalm chapter 22. Psalm chapter 22 begins with a familiar phrase. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and am silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm, no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their heads, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. By the way, that's in Matthew 27. The very words of those who looked at Jesus Christ on a cross. Exactly. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Again, throughout the scriptures, just a side note, the Bible teaches the sanctity of life. That life begins at conception. At conception, there is life. 
And God at that moment has a plan, has a call upon that, upon that life. The scripture goes out, goes on. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. What more perfect way to describe the looks on the faces of the soldiers around Jesus while he was being crucified than that. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. When they pierced their side, what came out? Blood and water. Was it a symbol of? Broken heart. His heart had ruptured. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a posture. My, my tongue clings to my jaws. Jesus said from the cross, didn't he? I thirst. I thirst. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. 800 years before crucifixion existed, David writes this song about crucifixion. God, through the Holy Spirit, breathing into David's pen the very thoughts going through our Savior's mind while he hangs on the cross. They pierced my hands and my feet, but look what he says next. I can count all my bones. Not one bone was broken. That's what he's laying out for us. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they what? Cast lots. Only remember reading that very same account of Jesus Christ when they came to the, they, they divided his robe, they tore it asunder, but when they came to his garment, they saw that it was without seam, it was valuable. So what did they do? They cast lots. 800 years prior to the event, the Holy Spirit inspires David to write this psalm. And for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, he says, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. This is God now speaking to his son. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify Him and fear Him, all you offspring of Israel. For He has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has He hidden His face from it. But when He cried to Him, He heard. Well, you read Isaiah chapter 53, and we see... The Lord saying that we looked at him. They're describing the way that they looked at Jesus. We looked at him as though he was afflicted by God. God's making this judgment on him. And in fact, that's true. But the judgment wasn't for his sin. The judgment was for our sin. So he didn't despise the affliction of the afflicted. He went for the joy set before him. He endured the cross despising the shame so that he might be the justifier of us all. 
justifying us by faith. So as we return now back to, uh, to the book of Exodus, we see that they were required not to break the bones. There's no limitation on the sacrifice. There's no one that can't come under the blood of Jesus Christ. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it. For he shall be as a native of the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. He had to be under the covenant. He had to be under the covenant. The flesh must be dealt with. It's a picture that God is dealing with. The flesh must be dealt with. No one with the works of his flesh can please God. It had to be cut away. It had to be done with. One law shall be for the native born and the stranger who dwells among you. Thus all the children of Israel did as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. And it came to pass on that very same day that the Lord brought the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt according to their armies. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever opens a womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. Folks, this is where we have the very clear teaching that the first fruits belong to God. Beast or man doesn't make any difference. The first fruits, the Lord says, those are mine. Consecrate those to me, is what he's calling for. Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. For by strength of hand, the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. And on this day, you are going out in the month of Abib. And it shall be when the Lord brings you to the land of the Canaanites and of the Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, Jebusites, he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you will eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there will be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters, not even in your house. And you shall tell your son that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. Look at this. It shall be as a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. Now the people ultimately would take this and run with it, that the Word of God would be as a frontlet between your eyes. So they built a phylactery, a box. If you go to Israel, you'll see them. Still there at the wall, as as they're giving their prayers at, at what we call the wailing wall, they'll have phylacteries tied to their head, a big box, and a big box tied behind their hands. But what is the Lord calling them to do here? He's saying, listen, I'm giving you a feast so that you can touch it, so you can see it, so you can see the example and you can touch it. And what's the point? So that you will teach your children. Teach your children. Provide for them the examples of what God has done in your life. Pass it on. 
Make it something that they can put their hand on. You know that the children, when that lamb was slain, that they would go to that little lamb and they would put their hands on that lamb while the throat was cut. So that they would realize, so they could touch, so that they could see. Not that it's cruel, but that they would realize the price for sin. So without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Well, today we have a whole group of folks that say, well, I'm basically a good person. And they totally lost the concept of being a sinner, missing the mark, not following the directions of the Lord. And they think, well, I'm better than that guy, so I got a pretty good shot of getting into heaven because I'm a good person. But if they had to recount their sins and watch the blood of a lamb every year of their life, they should have a concept of what sin costs. That's what the Lord is laying out in the Passover. Teach it to them. Make it something that they can handle, something that they can touch, something that they can see, not just words, not just someone standing in front of them preaching. It was, a, it was an object lesson that they lived out every single year in their life so that they would learn the ways, what the Lord was looking for. So they would pass down the stories of Genesis 22, saying, this lamb is a picture of a lamb of God, which one day will come and take away the sin of all the world and will never again have to sacrifice an animal. Looking to the perfect sacrifice promised in Genesis 22. They were to teach these things to their children so that their children would see and realize and recognize. Therefore, you shall keep this ordinance in its season year to year. Now it shall be when the Lord brings you to the land of the Canaanites as he swore to you and your fathers and he gives it to you that you shall set apart to the Lord all that opens the womb. Okay, we're back to the concept of first fruits. That is every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of men among your sons you shall also redeem. Now the donkey was unclean. So the Lord's saying if there's an unclean animal, it had to be redeemed by what? Clean. If it was unclean, it had to be redeemed by the clean. So when we get the picture, the donkey is a pretty good example of people. Now, if you consider it, there's a lot of stubbornness. You start reading about what the Bible talks about every time a donkey's mentioned in the scriptures, and you're going to say, man, that, that sounds a lot like some people I know. The idea is that we're unclean and it had to be a clean and perfect sacrifice to pay the price. It had to be acceptable. It couldn't just be any old thing. It couldn't just be any old person. It had to be, it had to be acceptable. And that acceptable sacrifice is Jesus Christ. The object lesson that they could touch, see, understand was that there had to be the shedding of blood to redeem things to the Lord. And that's what we see here with the, with the donkeys. Now with the sons, sons were redeemed with silver. 
They were redeemed with silver. In fact, later on, we're going to see Paul talk about the fact that it was impossible for you to be redeemed with the blood of bulls and golds or with silver or with gold. Because all those things were a shadow, a picture, an example of the ultimate sacrifice that would come in Jesus Christ. Those things are pointing us to Him. So it shall be when your son asks you in times to come, saying, what is this? Why do we do this? What is this all about? That you shall say to him, by the hand of the Lord, he brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Out of the house of Egypt. Taken out of the world. Out of the house of bondage. What are we in bondage to? We're in bondage to sin. The deliverance of those things. These are the pictures that God is painting for the children. That as they would study it, and they would pass it on from generation to generation to generation, that that message would be clear, that they would understand, that they would see, that they would recognize. And for those for whom it was real, not just a ritual, they recognized Messiah when he came. And when the church was born in Pentecost, what do we see? 3,000 people get saved. The first message preached. Shortly thereafter, the Bible says the numbers were added to the church daily. We see 5,000 added. We see people that are ready to recognize and to see the plan of God in Jesus Christ. So we see those things being accomplished as they would pass these things on. It came to pass. When Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all the males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. And it will be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes, for by the strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Now listen, the firstborn, they received the birthright. The firstborn were to all be the priests. They were to serve as priests. But what's going to happen in a, in a few weeks? We're going to come to a point where they're standing outside of Kadesh Barnea and they make a golden calf. You remember the story? And they're all dancing to the gold calf. And so Moses stands up and says, Now, who is going to be on the Lord's side? Who is going to stand up and help clean up this mess? And of the 12 families, there was one that stood up. The tribe of Levi, which from that moment forward became the tribe of priests. Right there. But all firstborn, because God had passed over, because God had charged for the firstborn, He had passed over, all were redeemed to Him. In every family, the firstborn was looked as that spiritual head, that one that was going to really seek the Lord and guide it. That's why it's so important when we study Jacob and Esau. You remember what Esau did? He despised his birthright. What part of his birthright? It wasn't the part where he got money from Pop. It wasn't his inheritance. What was it? It was that spiritual inheritance that he was to receive from God. He didn't care about that. He hated that part. That's why God chose Jacob and not Esau. Knowing Esau's choice, according to his foreknowledge, that Esau didn't care about spiritual things at all so he sold his birthright for what 
a bowl of beans, having bean soup. He sold that birthright. And so we see this being laid out for us here in Exodus. The Lord telling us about the firstborn and what the firstborn and what the firstborn means to him. And so he goes on in verse 17. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. Although that was near, God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. God took them the long way because they weren't ready. He didn't take them by Egypt. He didn't enter them directly into a battle. There were things that God needed to teach them. They, their faith wasn't at a place where they could trust. So God's going to take them to seven stops. The first one being Sukkoth. He's going to take them to seven stops. And then he's going to take them to the border of the promised land. And he's going to tell them, if you go, wherever you put the sole of your foot, I'm going to give it to you. If you're brave enough to trust me. While they're standing there, what do we got? A pillar of fire and the cloud. A rock that provides for them water. Manna every day when they wake up for, for their bread. God's sustenance. God's living water, God's the bread of life, all of that stuff right there with them when they come. Why wouldn't they step over? Why wouldn't they go? Because they had a spirit of unbelief. They didn't trust. So they took the long way. That generation will pass away until a generation that trusts the Lord was able to enter in. So as we go through, we want to learn the lessons from those stops. We want to understand what is it that God's trying to show them to prepare them to enter into that victorious life with the Lord. What is it that he's laying out for them? Well, verse 18 tells us, So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed... The children of Israel under a solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you will carry up my bones from here with you. So Joseph had said, God's going to take you out of this land, and when he does, take my bones. And so, by faith, he trusted that God would do what God said he would do, and here we see the fulfillment of that trust. And so they took their journey from Sukkot, so they're going to leave Sukkot, and they camped in Etham, at the edge of the wilderness. Etham means with him. Or with them. Etham means with them. They're on the brink. They're on the edge. They're on the precipice of the wilderness. And God stopped them at a place called with them. Where they could learn that God was always going to be with them. With them in good times, with them in hard times, with them when things were hard, with them when things were easy, that God was with them, that he was honoring, that he was going to fulfill the promises that he gave. And it says, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Now, everywhere they go is God-led. Sukkoth, tent town. It's not permanent. It's temporary. 
Etham with them. Right on the edge, they can see the wilderness. Man, they've been living in Egypt. You know, when they were hungry, they went to the Egypt market. They picked up leeks and garlic and ate it. But now they're getting ready to step into the wilderness. They're looking up and they they see that cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. The presence of Almighty God with them wherever they're going. But before they march out into that wilderness, before they go to Pihiroth, which is where they're going to go next week, between a rock and a hard place, God wants them to know He's with them. For I will never leave you or forsake you. There are many times we find ourselves in a place overlooking the precipice thinking, well, this is the one that's going to get me. This is the the one that's going to take me out. But then as that storm passes, you're still standing. You're still there. And hopefully we're learning God is here with me to be my strength, to be my shield, to carry me through. Nothing in this world is permanent. It is all temporary. And no matter where we are, even on the brink of the wilderness, God is with us. His presence was with them, right? Day and night, and he never took it away. For 40 years, when they wander in the wilderness, they could always count on the cloud by day and the fire by night. God never left them. In Romans 9, 10, and 11, the Bible tells us that all day long, the Lord reaches out His hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The point is, all day long, He's reaching out His hands. He didn't take away his presence. He didn't take away his part. He didn't take away the promises. Because, folks, the promises that God gave the nation of Israel didn't depend on them. They depended on God. They were I will promises, not if you. They were I will. These are the things that I will do. What does that teach us? What picture does that paint for us? If God kept and keeps his promises to them... Will he keep his word to you? Can we trust him? Can we put our faith and our hope in him? For Jesus would say, he is our Sabbath. He is our rest. And we want to ultimately be found in him. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for this time that we can just come before you and study the word and see, God, as you lay out these these concepts, as you lay out before us the, the Passover, every piece, every part, every cup, my goodness, of the Passover points to Jesus Christ. Jesus would say to the, to the Pharisees, you, you study the scriptures because you believe that in them you will find life. But what was it that you said, Lord? You said that it is these that speak of me on every page. God, I just thank you, Father. We can see your perfect plan brought 
to fruition, even in the beginning, in the book of Exodus, as you delivered your people, as you covered them with your wings, as you protected them from the destroying angel. Even so, when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, when we apply the blood of Jesus Christ given as a sacrifice for our sin, you protect us. The judgment for sin fell upon him so that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God all the way through Lord cover to cover one story God's redemption of men Father help us learn the lessons help us see as paul would write in first corinthians 10 hey all these things are given to you as an example so that we can learn so that we can grasp the the things that were missed so that we rather than like the the 10 who went and came back saying we can't we can't may we be like the two who said the lord is with us joshua and caleb And wherever we go, God will give us the victory. Lord, I pray that you just help us to apply these lessons in our life. Lord, I pray that you help us to teach these. Make them teachable to our kids. Something they can touch. Something they can see. Not just the words. Not just preach and do as I say. Father, that we would be able to provide those examples by how you've worked in our lives to help our children to grow. Father, we desire to enter into that victorious, restful existence, that victorious time just being in you. Lord, you you tell us that they didn't enter in because of unbelief. Father, let us learn. Let us grow. Let us not be cast aside by an evil heart of unbelief but rather believe trust you trust you in everything help us lord to grow help us to draw near help us lord just to seek your your face in all we do and we give you the honor and the glory the praise that you deserve For all that you do in our lives. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. We're going to have a time of worship. We invite you to hang out and worship.